This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. Today, we spoke with Peter Seibel, who previously led Twitter's engineering effectiveness team. Peter and I talked about when to start an engineering effectiveness team and how to recruit engineers onto internal facing teams like his. Peter also gives his take on developer productivity metrics and shares a fun tool he built to help him get feedback from developers. So my name is Peter Seibel. I'm most relevant. I spent a year, a year and a half at, or I spent four years at Twitter, a year and a year and a half of that. I was the tech lead for the engineering effectiveness group that we're obviously going to be talking about today. Um, I also worked on data quality and anti-abuse at Twitter. After Twitter, I was the head of engineering at the Democratic National Committee for four years leading up to the 2020 election. Um, I've written a couple books, and now I'm potentially on the way to becoming a high school computer science teacher. So that's what I'm up to now. Awesome. Well, you wrote a well-known blog post that we'll link to in the show notes about your experience at Twitter. I'd like to start by asking you a few questions about that team. So the team was called the Engineering Effectiveness Group. What was happening at the time that led to the creation of that team? And what was the the team's intended scope? So... Um, in, to some extent, the, the name was a rebranding. Um, Twitter for a long time had a team called Developer Productivity or DevProd that had always been really, as far as I can tell, underfunded. Um, it was like a small team. And as I described in the, in the essay, like a lot of stuff had grown up at Twitter organically with different teams just sort of going their own way, especially when they got into like, breaking apart the monolith into a, um, microservices. And I was like, well, every team runs their own microservice. Like every team could do whatever they want, kind of within reason and sometimes not within reason. And developer productivity was just, the kind, you know, they were responsible for the build tool pants, which was a in-house built version of Blaze from Google. Um, they kind of ran a CI system and they did various things, but they were just really small and they couldn't do a lot. Um, so engineering effectiveness came about when after you know, many years of various things, and in particular, this project to merge the, the two mono repos that we had, which is obviously not what you want if it's going to be a mono repo, um, into a single mono repo had been stalled for a while. And the new SVP of engineering went and hired uh, Transparent VP from Oracle, who came in and rebuilt the team, took a bunch of other things under her control, um, and she recruited me into it, and that's how I got involved. But it was yeah, so it was a very explicit attempt to try and like put more resources into the problem. I'm curious. That's funny you mentioned it was sort of a rebrand because I the, the name engineering effectiveness definitely does seem less common than the typical dev prod or devx team. Can you share more about? why you thought engineering effectiveness was a was a better rebrand? I mean, I don't know that it was, I mean, I don't know that the name is necessarily better. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's sort of synonymous, right? Developer productivity, engineering effectiveness, whatever. It was just that at that point, and, you know, with all respect to like a ton of engineers, like a ton of good engineers had worked on DevCon. So I'm not like trying to throw anybody under the bus who worked on the team in its original incarnation, but it was because it was under-resourced um, it just had a really bad brand. Like it was like DevProd was the people who did not help you because they couldn't, because you know a lot of really good engineers went in and tried like really hard and like left the company from DevProd because they were so burned out from trying to like 
push the boulder up the hill with no help whatsoever. So, but dev prod was a bad word. You couldn't recruit people to come in and work on dev prod because everyone sort of knew that that's what happened. And dev prod was not the people who helped you. So it definitely needed something to say, this is new. And so a name was one, one part of that. Well, so how, so you kind of talked about how this team struggled to advocate for themselves. So how, how do you think other people should advocate? Like what can they take from, from lessons you've learned in terms of how they should think about advocating for an investment in a team like this? I think the, the biggest, I mean, maybe two, two points. One is start early, at least being mindful of it. And and then Mike, Essay, I, you know, I have this model, which is no doubt wrong, but like sort of tries to show like as your org gets bigger and bigger, an even disproportionately large investment might be justified in sort of the proportion of your whole engineering that is devoted to this engineer, you know, tools, basically. Um, and but but you should think about it even when you're small and think about like, hey, would putting one person dedicated to this like when is putting one person on it worthwhile? Because if one person starts and does a good job, like they can sort of set things up so it's easier to add the next person at the right time. Whereas if you wait and let everybody just roll their own stuff or people like half, build half-assed versions of things that everybody uses and everybody hates, but nobody really wants to like keep making them good and then wait long enough, then it's really hard to unwind that. So I think... Think about it early on and, and frequently check in. Like, could, you know, are we at the point where we need to add more to this effort and get good people on it? And, and, you know, if you're lucky, you get someone who's a really good senior engineer who recognizes the importance of it and is willing to do the work themselves and, and can, you know, and, and senior both so they can like make good, have good judgment but also so they can bring other people along and convince people that their judgment is good, either just by virtue of like, well, that guy or gal knows what she's doing. So like we trust them. Or if you have to argue about it, you can make a, a good case for why you should do a thing a certain way. Um, so yeah, like, and, and that was one of the things that, you know, for a while there, especially at the beginning of EE, we had like two or three people from TAG joined engineering of TAG was the Twitter architecture group joined EE to try and like boost that, like, so we could go get stuff conveyed to people. So in your article, and you just brought it up, you had this model for the total effectiveness of an org, and it was partly a function of the size of an EE team. Looking back, by the time you left Twitter, do you feel like the EE team was still underfunded or was that appropriately sized? I, I I think probably still under, and it was, I mean, we also went through, I mean, actually, the, so Twitter had a real love fest with, uh, what do we call them, Code Reds, or Tiger Teams, or, you know, whatever you call it, but basically, like, some area, like, and high enough up exec decides this area is on fire, so let's just grab a bunch of people on a temporary basis and tell them they're going to work in that area, and it's super not effective because you spend so long getting those people up to speed. They're not often super excited about it. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, there's a real crisis. Can you help out? Some people will do it. But mostly in EE, those people had already joined the team. 
like the people who were like, yeah, it's a crisis. It needs help. They, you know, got recruited. The people who got sent as conscripts, like were less excited. And so, but that was the, like, so there was still a, like, things aren't going fast enough. We need to get more things done, but not in an effective way. Um, so management effectiveness is a different department. Um, but so if they had grown more, like, I mean, grown a little slower, but maybe grown to a higher point, I think they could have been a lot more effective. I mean, partly it was we created a crisis because the urge to get into the monorepo or the demand to get into the monorepo was so strong that we just had to do it. And like a bunch of stuff blew up when we did. And then we were in this race to like get things back to an acceptable level where like CI was taking like six hours or something for a while. And it was like, that's just not okay. But throwing a bunch of bodies at that did not really get it to go get better faster. The same people who were going to always going to fix it ended up fixing it. So it sounds like the team was a little perpetually underfunded at Twitter. Do you, as you've looked across the industry and worked at other places, do you feel like our industry as a whole is underfunding these teams? I mean, I haven't really worked anywhere that's, um, actually, that's not true. I mean, so so the place that everyone believes does this super well, and I, I guess I, by the bet, I do believe it, is Google. And it's easy when you have like dump trucks backing up to the office and unloading money every day to like do whatever you want. But yeah, like they have this huge infrastructure. I mean, the, the build system that everybody, everybody, the big everybody's copied was Google's Blaze build system, which is now open source is Bazel. But like Twitter built Pants, um, Facebook built Buck, and they were all ex-Google people who went to those companies and were like, oh, I really want that build system. So I think they do. Um, I don't know. I, cert- I, I, I judge that also a little bit by like ex-Googlers, when they talk about, they're like, oh, wait, what? I can't just like spin up infinite compute resources to like build my thing in 15 seconds? Like, what? <laughs> how can I work like this? I'm going to go to the cafeteria. Oh, wait, the cafeteria. Oh, no, nothing is like I expect. So that, like, that is probably a model. I suspect Facebook, I know, you know, I gave my talk at a Facebook conference about this stuff. And they also have a big, big, trucks of money showing up every day or did Etsy where, which was much smaller where I worked before Twitter had a very good um, sort of development and operation. Like they were sort of early on in like the DevOps thing and they had a very different model. It was smaller. It was at the time, essentially a PHP monolith, but they had a really mature process around how you develop software at Etsy to the extent that every engineer was expected to ship to prod on their first day. You know, it was like a small change, but you would get through the process of make a small change to the website in PHP and go through the process of how you push it live so that after your first day, you're like, okay, I know how to do that. You wouldn't end up, you know, some people like write, come to a new company and they write code and like six months later, they haven't actually shipped anything because they don't actually know how to do all the things that are necessary after the code compiles to like get it out into the world. I want to rewind a little bit. Can you give a kind of a quick overview of what during your time at Twitter, the engineering effective effectiveness team mostly focused on? Yeah. So, I mean, the crisis was this monorepo, um, as I described in the early part of that essay, Twitter had grown up sort of two separate monorepos 
that had taken cross dependencies on each other. So the actual, in order to update code in one side, you might have to like get a code on the other side changed to use the new thing and publish an artifact, which you could then pull. And so your code would now compile. I mean, it, and it could take, especially with, I think thrift was like a real big problem there because that was how things communicated across microservices and whatnot. Um, so it could just take a really, really long time to get changes made, multiple sort of CI cycles per change. And so it had kind of been decided that we're going to go all in on a, on a mono repo, which was, again, a little bit of the Google, you know, people from Google, like, well, Google had a mono repo and it was great. And so we should have that. Um, ironically, before I was on EE, I was kind of in a coalition of people who thought the mono repo was a terrible idea um, and thought that we should instead invest in like tooling. You're going to have to invest in tooling either way. I felt like we could invest in tooling that would make the multi-repo world better without many of the difficulties that would come with a monorepo the size of, of Twitter's. And it and it was turns out, I guess it worked out okay, but like the things that people were predicting was that the the repo was going to be so big that Git just wasn't designed for the size of repo we had. So because Google had this whole long history of their version control system. They used Perforce for a long time, and then they sort of built their own Perforce replacement. And then, you know, they had infinite money; they could do whatever they want. They built their a system that worked for them, sort of over time. Um, Facebook had done a ton of work to uh, customize or you know get changes put into Mercurial that would support because they had would would have had a similar problem. Mercurial was a little easier to hack on, both technically and culturally upstream was more willing to accept changes, et cetera. Um, so we'd looked also like, should we switch to Mercurial? And like, that was going to be a whole nightmare. So we decided actually before my time, one of the senior staff engineers convinced the VP of engineering that we could make Git work by doing some fancy hacks on Git. And so they were working on that. We, you know, and then there was a bunch of other stuff we had to do to actually uh, harmonize the two different versions of pants or like get both repos on the same version of pants sort out the layout i think we actually did it in two steps one we merged them in the source control but they were actually still separate so you still had to do this like multi-hop dance to actually make a change if dependencies crossed the two repos even though they now were in one repo and then we unified the build so it went like Two repos to a mono repo, but a multi build and then a mono build, um, and just everything like broke down because everything was at a much double scale all of a sudden. So Git status took forever. Git pull took you know if you went on vacation and came back two weeks later and tried to do a Git pull, you might as well go on vacation for another two weeks because that's how long it was going to take. And we had kind of plans for like how we were going to address all these things, and it you know and we were working on them all. So. That was the big crisis, and that also fed into you know, the CI system, which had its own issues um, that are weren't exactly tied to the mono repo. But um, in some ways, it's good, right? You have one. I mean, that's the advantage of a mono repo. You put all your eggs in the basket and you watch it. So, like, if CI is broken, at least it's just the one CI, and you have people dedicated to trying to make it work better.
Um, so that was the main thing, like the monorepo, uh, CI, those were like our main teams. Cause and we had the, and the build like pants, which was intimately in tied up with all of this. And we did some other things along the way that was kind of adjacent, like we built actually this pretty good system for updating people's laptops, which is another place that like falls between like IT and engineering effectiveness or whatever you call it. Um, like how do you get the software on people's machines that isn't just like, oh yeah, go to this URL, like your buddy who you sit next to tells you go to this URL or run this brew command or whatever. And everyone's laptops are all configured differently. So we tried to like solve that partly because we needed to be able to give people our like special Git client or maybe it wasn't Git. I don't know. There was various things we needed. Like we need you to know, no, you're running this right thing. Um, and so we built a system for that. And then we built into that some like local metrics so we could start to get like see when certain commands were taking a really long time so that we could actually like build our product the way Twitter builds its product, which is like tell when the users are like having a bad experience um, in a more like objective way than just whether people complain or not. In your article, you mentioned that an area where engineering effectiveness can help is, and I'm going to quote you, you said coordinating with engineers to push the good ways of doing things and stamp out the bad ways whether it's how we do code reviews, test our code, write design docs, or anything else. So I'm curious, how did you do this at Twitter? So some of that was maybe more aspirational for EE. Um, though we did, so we certainly had, I guess code review was another thing. It was in our domain, right? So we ran, I think we used review board, and then we sort of, started during my time and I think finished up after I left EE, but was still at Twitter. They moved to Fabricator. And that's sort of like the tool you pick also pushes a certain way of doing things. Um, and we had, you know, including things like, how do you make sure that like, you know, the security engineers get put on reviews, but in a way like that doesn't block things needlessly, you know, whatever, like getting the right people to review the right things. Um, and that's also about culture, which is part of why, again, you need, it's not just pick a tool and deploy it. It's like pick a tool and deploy it and make sure people understand how to use it in the shared way and over communicate and all that. So that's, that's code review. Um, design reviews and stuff was actually one thing that uh, the Twitter architecture group did. We had this, I forget what we called it, design review shepherds or something um, that we sort of set up a process by which you could, and it wasn't designed to be a like gatekeeping process, but rather a like, if you're designing a thing and you want some eyes on it, here's how you get some help. You get a design shepherd who would usually be like a senior staff engineer or staff engineer or someone um, who would help you first, like get your review into a reviewable state and then find some people who should review it. Um, and that's stuff that like, some needs to be happening somewhere in a large engineering org. Um, and that makes, you know, E as a, as a locus for that. I mean, but that's obviously going to, that's going to be more of a coordination thing. It's not like E should be responsible for all code reviews. Everyone should be responsible or not code reviews, but uh, like design reviews. Um, but making sure that again, where like, so it's kind of consistent, right? So you move teams and you're like, oh, we have to do a design review. It's like, well, at least I know how to do that because I did one on my old team and it's not a whole new process. 
and also to just figure out like what's a good way to do a design review and what's a bad way, what's effective and like, what problem are you trying to solve? Why did you say that this was aspirational? I mean, just cause like the so code <laughs> review, design review, just or in general, like encouraging practices. good practices and like discouraging bad practices. We weren't at the point where we were able to really go and like, work with other teams we had so many of our own fires to put out so in that sense it was aspirational i had you know i talked to people about also this idea of like how do you get good people to work on engineering effectiveness type work like some people love working on tools but some people just want to build the product and some people want to build the like fundamental infrastructure of the you know the rpc library or whatever and so we had talked about ways you could have either people rotate into engineering effectiveness to get a sense of like, and to maybe bring some new insights and just expertise, but also to have EE people go sit with other teams and maybe even work on EE stuff still, but like in the context of another team and like help solve their particular problems, but also see like, oh yeah, I see what people are complaining about when they say CI is slow. It's like, actually, it's this particular thing, and then we can fix it, as opposed to just lots of teams say CI is slow, but we don't really know what that means. So if we had more, fewer things on fire and more headcount, then we would try and like rotate people around and, and embed people in both directions. It seems a lot of companies that have DevProd or DevX teams, the scope of these teams is typically constrained to the tools, uh, like you're saying, but not the practices. Do you think just generally speaking in the industry or at Twitter, is there a gap to be filled in terms of being able to kind of mentor or coach teams on their practices as opposed to just focusing on the tools? I think there, I think, well, I, at Twitter, I would say there was like there, there were, there was another group totally unrelated that did practices in like project management practices and they train people how to use Jira effectively if one can use Jira effectively. And um, you know, they would sort of help, you know, if you're like, hey, we want to learn how to do Scrum, like they would go and train people how to do that. But in terms of like engineering practices, that was really super tribal and like word of mouth and who you had breakfast with every day back in the glory days of you know, three meals a day at the office or whatever. But like, I mean, that was actually like a lot of conversations about stuff would happen at meals, uh, like cross team among, you know, whatever engineers happen to hang out together. But, and and there were other things like I, long before I was on EE, I, I started a thing called the Royal Society, Royal Society for Coding Excellence or something. I don't know. It was started out as like a code reading group. I have another essay about that, about how, but actually people don't read code. So then we switched it around to sort of a, you would, someone would present some code and walk everyone else through like, how does this work? And why is it interesting? It might've been something they wrote or might've been something that they read and had deeply understood. Um, and that's the kind of thing, again, like that was super grassroots. I was like pretty new at Twitter and I'm like, hey, let's just do this. And we did it, but that could have gotten a little, some things like that could have, could get support. And I think we did have, um, Twitter did, I, I should acknowledge, Twitter did have a pretty good training. Like there were people who worked on training and we had actually acquired a company that did like training stuff and brought them in house. 
to, uh, and that was kind of very specific, like, oh, we're switching to, I don't know what it was at the time. I don't think it was React, but like if we're switching to React, we'll teach everyone how to do, or we'll teach the iOS developers Swift or like, I don't know, stuff like that. So there, so that, I'm not saying there was no education happening at Twitter. And in fact, they were part, they were under the same VP under EE. Um, and we also ran uh, tech lead training programs. So it's coming back. We did stuff and it was, some of it was adjacent. Some of it just happened to be like me and some other people in EE were involved, but it wasn't really an EE thing. But it's like, that's, all that stuff is really good and really important. Um, and it's sometimes it's not as formal as it like could be. I mean, it just could be supported more. I don't want it to be like, and we, and you know, then there are definitely people who were working on trying to like bridge that gap. So I don't want to, again, I don't want to like pretend that wasn't happening and disparage their, their efforts. Well, that makes sense. In your post, you also wrote that EE is hard to measure. And you shared with me before the show that you have an interesting story or perspective on Git-based metrics. Can you share a little bit more about that? I, yeah, so there was one a thing that we worked on, which I, I both my recollection and my contemporaneous understanding may be a little bit off, but basically I think the, the, the new SVP of engineering was like, there, I think there was a perception which was probably accurate that like code review was a bottleneck for a lot of teams, and a lot of engineers, and it was contributing to engineers' dissatisfaction because like they'd write some code and then they'd wait so long to get a mandatory code review done, it just slowed them down, and so, so that's a reasonable observation, and then a second sort of reasonable inference from that is like, well, managers should be managing that, like managers should know if their team is bogging down in code review. And then you say, well, how would managers possibly know that? And you might come up with the answer, we should build a tool that makes a dashboard of how long code reviews are taken by team. And well, the manager kind of needs to know by individual, like, you know, and you can like, that can be good. Like if it's just information that, you know, lets the managers and the tech leads and everyone at some level have visibility into like i mean even individuals like oh wow i didn't realize that like my teammates in aggregate spent you know 18 hours last week waiting for me to review their code like you, that might just change your behavior you might be like oh wow, i didn't i didn't quite realize what an impact it was that i wasn't getting to code so like but it's hard to build a tool like that without freaking out the engineers that like managers are going to be judging them based on some particular metric that comes out of the tool and that now people are going to like game their thing to like you know in ways that may or may you know it's like the the classic is like oh you're just going to measure lines of code produced per day so i'm just going to make i'm going to write my code in a way that produces lots of lines not because that's a good way to write it um so it's really hard to make metrics that people won't game i mean i think there's even like there's theories about like that's basically impossible um so when we were building that i was kind of pushing to like make you know don't make it make it a tool for the ic's first like if it's useful to the ic's it will have useful information that the manager can use to get similar insights but if you build something that the ic's look at it and they're like this is this is the surveillance state it doesn't matter how useful it is to the managers because you're going to like you know 
demotivate your engineers and also make them start gaming it and then it's useless. So that was, yeah, I think it was, it was a combination of Git and our code review system that was like providing the metrics. Were there any other ways you tried in your posts? Again, you, you wrote EE is hard to measure. Were there any other attempts at measuring it while you were at Twitter? I mean, we had these metrics that I mentioned, like we try, like we had this idea. So, there, so there, there's metrics of like, literally, like if you knew, if and you know, Twitter had all these dashboards and big data and we handle like a trillion client events a day or something. So like, it, why not have an event for every time a developer executes any of the development tool commands, runs Git, runs the compiler, runs the build, runs CI, whatever, like, and just sort of see where did the time go? How many things succeeded? How many things failed, right? Um, that seems like it would be useful in the aggregate, at least to focus your effort. It's like, wow, like we're losing, you know, the average Git pull is taking five minutes. And then you get into a little more surveillance things like the average Git pull takes five minutes. And the next command is executed 10 minutes after that because the developer always goes to get coffee when they do a Git pull because they know it takes forever. And so actually you're losing 15 minutes of time and you need to get that pull down to like 30 seconds for it to like keep them in flow. So that's so metrics like, and we started to build that into the, and that then depends on being able to really control the software that people have on their machines, et cetera. Um, I think I told you before this call, like I also built a thing that I found very useful. I have to, again, acknowledge that like it was not universally loved, but a lot of people liked it. So Twitter has Go links which are a lot of companies have, again, I think cargo culted from Google, but like you set up a, a host named Go and then internally you can say Go slash whatever and then you have something that expands the abbreviation. So I claimed the name Go Rage. Um, so you would type Go slash Rage and it would just pop up a one, a four, a page which just had, I think just a text box where you type, you know, it asks you like, what are you raging about today? And you would type some stuff and you'd hit submit. And then it would show you a little GIF of the princess flipping the table. I had a couple different GIFs of people flipping tables. And I said, thanks for your rage. And they all went into a database that, and there was an admin side that I could see and some other people in the EE could see. Um, and I think also we could like tag them. So it's like a folksonomy. Um, but basically that was it. So it wasn't like public. It wasn't like the, a tool for publicly shaming other teams or anyone, people or whatever. It was just a way to communicate into essentially me um, what were, was frustrating. And it was really, you know, which part I just built because that's how I felt. Like when I was on the other side, I was like, can I just tell someone that this is really unacceptable? Like how long this is taking or that this thing just broke again or whatever? Um it's not worth filing a JIRA ticket. It's not worth even emailing someone. It's just like, I just want to like throw it in the hopper and like someone please sort this out. So that's, so I was the sorter. Um, and so I would get these things and I had the email of the person who had submitted it. So I knew who it was. It wasn't anonymous. I told them that it wasn't anonymous. Um, and so sometimes I would email them back and be like, I hear you. Like, this is what we're doing. Or this is why this is not at the top of our to-do list right now. And I understand that it sucks, but like, we're working on this, these three other things, and that's why. Um, I would sometimes share them with other people on the team, which was the part that not everyone loved. Um, I think it was harder uh, for, particularly for folks who had been on the team, right? And they had like 
been responsible for longer for the thing that people were complaining about, it's hard not to feel attacked when people are saying your 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 shit is terrible. Um, it was easier when we for people who came in to be like, yeah, it's all terrible. It's not my fault. I wasn't here when it got terrible. I'm just trying to fix it. Uh, but I do think that also points to a, a characteristic that you need in this work because it's like people are always. I mean, I maybe maybe if everything is great, but I suspect people always complain. Right? Customers are never happy, and when you're in dev, you know, EE or dev prod, like the whole engineering team is your customer, and engineers are super opinionated. So, but it was a really useful tool for me to get a a, a sense of like. I think I, and then I think I made some spark charts based on the tags, so you could see like, and you could really see the like spikes, like Git is going up, and then we released a fix, and it dropped down, and like something else would like spike up. So you could, it was like sort of data to like see at least the effects of what we were doing. That's really interesting. Did you? How did you? You know, there's that build it and they'll come or whatever that kind of line is, but like, how did you? How did developers know about this enough and or be aware enough about it to use it? Did you advertise it in other places? Were there links to the GoLink in other places? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely told people. About, I, I think for a while there, I think I sent a like state of EE email once a month or maybe once a quarter. I don't know. I, I wasn't totally consistent on it, but pretty right partly because i we had to tell people like what's up with the monorepo conversion like is that happening where are we at what's like what's going on um and so i think i pretty much always plugged it i'm like hey look if you know i have office hours that you can sign up here you know you can email me or if you just want to rage like go rage um and so yeah i definitely tried to like let people know. and it was funny that i didn't always make it super obvious that it was really an engineering effectiveness thing because it's pretty generic. So I would also get rages about like completely different corporate things. <laughs> like people were, I don't know, people mostly weren't mad about the food in the cafeteria, but something like that. It was like, I was like, well, this is really not, and I would reply to them and be like, hey, I don't really know anything about that. I'm sorry. And maybe you should talk to these people. That's really funny. Well, looking ahead, maybe five, 10 years. How do you think the role of engineering effectiveness in DevProd could change? I mean, one thing that has changed um, certainly from you know Etsy and Twitter and and Google will you know continue to be its own thing. Um, I mean, so much more stuff is in the cloud now. So the which in some ways makes things you know, makes many things so much easier, right? Like you actually kind of can possibly just spin up a bunch of compute power to do a thing. But that also means that there's like a billion more dimensions that everybody can do their own thing. And actually the the sort of infrastructure around that is, I mean, maybe it's like, I mean, I, I like, I don't totally understand it, but it just feels like, so actually at the DNC, like we did everything in AWS which was fine, but like, I don't think I ever in my time at the, you know, I was a director of engineering at that point. So it wasn't like my day to day was to build things, but like I never did actually figure out how to build a website that I could deploy just internally securely. Like I know how to build a website. 
And I even can kind of figure out how to deploy it into AWS, but like, how do I set up the security groups and the network fire, you know, to like, so you can only get to it on the VPN or, or should uh, we should be using some fancy zero auth thing. Like there's so many choices now and particularly Amazon is like a nightmare of different choices and deprecated products or whatever. So like to have a team, it's less maybe about building tools because a lot of the tools are things you're going to get. Um, from Amazon, but but to put the pieces together in a way that's, you know, so that like it seems to me that if you're basically a, a tech company that builds web things in general, like it should be easy for a developer to do certain things. And one of them is stand up a website that's backed by some code and maybe that's you know only accessible to people inside the company. Like there should just be a big button that I press to do that. And then I should write some code. And that would be a thing that a team you know, we were very small, so we did not have a team, and sometimes that problem never got solved. Um, but I, you know, and as that as your actual aspect, and that's a, that was a very personal need. But like anything that you need to do multiple times, like you got to make the path so it's easy to do it and do it right, so you don't like create security holes where someone just like poked a big hole in your like cloud, you know, virtual network or whatever, and let the whole world in when because they were just trying to share something with a coworker. So wow. I think that's, yeah, like the EE in a cloud world is probably very different in some sense, but the problem, I mean, the basic problem is the same. It's like, how do you make it easy for people to do the things they need to be able to do? Right. So it sounds like a little less, it's a kind of a build versus buy thing a little bit, but with, with less building of custom tools, there's a different set of problems. It sounds like, yeah. I mean, we, I, like we, where we actually, uh, what was it? Yeah, we like we cobbled together. I mean, not cobbled together. Actually, kind of designed a system for like, you know, building our Docker images in a reasonable way uh, using the various facilities of AWS. But there, there was still like a bunch of glue that had to happen. And in that case, at the DNC, we like actually built a reasonable system and template so that you could do that particular thing in a in a reasonable way.